This morning, we're continuing our series through the women of the Christmas story. And last week, several of you, after the sermon was over, came up and said, uh, what about Ruth? You skipped Ruth. Well, we didn't skip Ruth on purpose because Ruth gets her own Sunday. Uh, we're thinking about what we can learn about Christmas, about Advent, from the story of Ruth. And I want to begin by showing you a painting that my wife has hanging in our entryway. We always put this up, often leave it up most of the year, but always around this time at Advent and Christmas. And this is a beautiful painting depicting Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. These women of the Christmas story that we find in Matthew chapter 1, these women who are bonded together by not having what was assumed to be the right background, by having bad reputations thrown at them, being united because of the pain and difficulty and tears that they went through in life, and yet every one of them was part of God's plan to bring redemption and salvation and rescue to the world. These are the women of the Christmas story. And this morning, we're trying to ask ourselves, what can we learn from the story of Ruth? Here's my question for you this morning that will guide us. Do you have peace in your life? Is your home a place of peace? Is your marriage a place of peace? Do you have peace in your mind? Or do you feel like you're at war with yourself in your mind? Do you have peace in your life? The question is, how does God bring that peace to us? And in the book of Ruth, we find three different ways that that plays itself out. I'm gonna walk us through that this morning. How does the book of Ruth, how does the story of Christmas teach us about having peace in our lives? Ruth chapter one, verse one, let's start there. Ruth chapter one, verse one says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now from the very beginning of the book of Ruth, you get the feeling that this book is connected to the rest of the Bible in so many different ways. Uh, just the reference to judges in your Bible. You turn back one page to the left or you scroll up in your phone. What do you have? You have the book of Judges. You have the story of how in the world at this time, everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Everyone is living however they want to, and the story of Ruth fits right into the middle of that. From the very beginning of the story of Ruth, what do you have? You have famine. You have a lack of food. Things are not easy when the book of Ruth begins. But you do have a reference to Bethlehem. <laughs> and we know enough about our Bibles to know that that is a good promise that you have a reference to Bethlehem. This house of bread, this place of God's provision. Verse 2. The name of the man who left Bethlehem and went to Moab, the name of this man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. Now you say, what's the big deal about going to Moab? Well, Moab was considered enemy territory. They are going into a place where the people have been opposed to the way of God, have been opposed to the people of God. This is not a good relationship. They're going into enemy territory in order to try to find bread for their family. They're supposed to stay there for a short amount of time, and they remain there. They get stuck there. 
Some of you in life may have moved different places because of work or school or jobs, and you think, hey, this is only going to be for two, three, four years. 20 years later, you're still in the same place that you didn't mean to remain there. You just moved there and you stayed. That's kind of what happens to the family in this situation. Verse 3, what happens when they get there? Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These sons took Moabite wives. This was considered a no-no, but they're continuing to live there. They're living in this country. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. You feel the pain growing. First, no food. Now their husbands have died. Not only that, they haven't had children up to this point. All of the pain of the ancient world is encompassed in these first couple of, books, first couple of verses of Ruth. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, Naomi did, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. So now they're going to go back to Bethlehem, to this place where God has provided for his people, because Naomi has heard there's opportunities. Now, we're not going to read the rest of chapter 1 or most of chapter 1, but the way this story progresses, Naomi says, ladies, don't go back with me. There's nothing for you there in Bethlehem. Stay here with your own families. Orpah, she does remain behind. But what does Ruth do? Ruth goes with Naomi. She goes back to Bethlehem with her. Go down to verse 19. Verse 19, now it's only Ruth and Naomi at this point. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, a word that means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. Did she really? No, she went away because she didn't have food. But in her mind, she was full at that point. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And look at how chapter 1 ends. This is so important theologically in your Bible. The way chapter 1 ends, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Here's the first thing I want you to know about peace from the book of Ruth. This is a story of providence. Now, when I say providence, what I mean by that, that's the $100 theology word that says God always guides and provides for his people. He provides for his people whatever they need in whatever circumstances they find themselves, and he guides his people and he guides his plan for the purposes that he has before us. Because of God's providence, we learn that we can trust him no matter the circumstances. And we have peace because we know that he is good, we know that he is loving, and we know that he is in control. Now here's the fascinating thing about this story. Naomi, who's grown up with these stories, she should know that this is true, but she is struggling. She is struggling to believe in God's goodness and providence. And friends, many of us have grown up in church. We know the church answers. <laughs> We know the Bible stories. We know what we're supposed to say when somebody asks us a Bible question. 
but we still struggle to trust in God's goodness, especially when you find yourself in hard circumstances. When your family hasn't gone the way you expected, when your job hasn't gone the way you expected, when the world at large has not gone the way you expected, we struggle to trust God. Even though we know in our heads that it's true, it's so hard to believe it in our heart. And Naomi, in this story, when she is in Moab and she prepares to go back to Bethlehem, she can't imagine that anybody would want to go with her through this pain that she's facing. When we're in pain in life, it's so hard to imagine that anybody else would want to walk with you through that pain. And when life hurts, and you're dealing with hard circumstances, and you're going through a frustrating situation, one of the first things we can do is begin to push people away. No, no, no. I, that person can't love me. That person doesn't really care about me. That person doesn't really, really be around me. When you're going through hard circumstances, one of the greatest gifts that you could ever have is God puts people in your life that they just won't let you go. Like they say, no, I am going to stay with you. And I know this is hard, but I'm going to walk with you right through the middle of it. And what Naomi does in this situation when she faces these hard circumstances, she begins to personalize these. She even changes her identity. Don't call me Naomi. I'm not blessed. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. She allows her circumstances to determine her identity. And any time in life, we allow the pain of our circumstances to determine our identity, we're getting into a really bad place. Because now we've taken our eyes off the love and goodness and joy of the Lord, and we put them on our circumstances. And in those moments, friends, you will not have peace. <laughs> when we personalize and internalize and isolate ourselves from others, it's gonna destroy the peace in your life. But when we remember, yeah, I know the Lord is good, and he's gonna put the people, right people in my life, and this does not determine my identity, what's happening around me. There's such peace in the middle of those situations. You've probably known people in your life who they went through circumstances that you could never imagine, and you looked at their life and you thought, how do they have peace in the middle of that situation? How could they keep going in life? It's not about them, it's about the goodness and presence and joy of the Lord in that situation that God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. The first thing we see from the book of Ruth is that we serve a God of providence. We serve a God who loves his people, he guides his people, he provides for his people. Chapter two, look at the next thing. Chapter two, verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man. This is the famous word from the Bible to describe men, and, and like they're warriors, they're strong men of valor. He was a worthy man of the, can, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she just so happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Did she just so happen to come to the field of Boaz? Or is this exactly how God has been working to bring these things together for Ruth? Here's one thing I love about Ruth in this story. She's away from her homeland She's with a mother-in-law who's acting very mother-in-law-y uh, at this point. Uh, she's, things are not going well. What does she do? 
Does she lie down and wallow in her sorrow? No way. She says, I'm going to find my way through this. She gets up and she says, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to figure out how to keep going in the middle of these circumstances. And God guides her into a situation where she's going to have this interaction with Boaz. If you know some of the Old Testament Bible stories here, you know that Boaz is significant because he was what was called a kinsman redeemer for the family. That is, someone had lost a husband someone else from the family could step in and provide that role, continue to carry on that role for the family. Now, there was a kinsman redeemer who was closer to Ruth than Boaz was, but this guy turned down the opportunity to step into the situation. And so Boaz, in chapters 2, 3, and 4, we find out how Boaz steps into that situation. Now, it's not an easy story, but it's a beautiful love story about how Boaz and Ruth come together ultimately as husband and wife. One thing that's interesting, I'll just throw this in as a quick, quick aside. One thing that's interesting about Ruth's story is that when she goes to Boaz under cover of night, there are suspicions about what's happening in the story of how she's approaching him. Is she approaching him in a sexually immoral way? What's going on with this situation? By all accounts, she's not. But here's the interesting thing. Tamar... Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. All four of the ladies mentioned in Jesus' background as this part of the story of Christmas, all four of those ladies, their reputation was marred because of sexual relationships usually that were done to them, sometimes that they had done, uh, done to others. Here's the point I want to make in this. Jesus' own mother had a bad reputation thrown at her about the fact that maybe she was doing things that was sexually immoral. Because remember, Mary is able to conceive, she is able to become pregnant because of the power of the Holy Spirit that she was a virgin at the time. But we know that all throughout early church history, people said it really wasn't the Holy Spirit. Mary had some sort of an affair or Mary was sexually assaulted by someone. So they had all this reputation that was built up about Mary. Here's the point I make. I think one of the reasons Matthew chapter 1 includes Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba in the story of Jesus is its reflection of the love and the protection that Jesus had toward his own mother. He knew his own mother had been accused of things that were immoral, inappropriate, and yet she was, was not guilty. And so these same women are drawn into the story here. We see a picture of Jesus coming to those who are hurting, coming to those who had hard backgrounds or false things said about them, and he ultimately brings salvation. Chapter 4, verse 13. Look at further down. Skipping a lot of the book of Ruth. Go to chapter 4, verse 13. So ultimately, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, return life to you, and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. And then you just follow the path from there, and ultimately it leads you to Jesus. Number two about the story of Ruth. It is a story 
of redemption, is a story of salvation, that God provides a redeemer for his people. That in the worst possible circumstances, when it looks like there's no way out, God provides salvation for his people. And he continued to do that right down to Jesus, who came in through his life, his death, his resurrection, defeated the power of sin and death so that we would be able to be saved, so we would be able to be redeemed and made right with God. There's a beautiful verse in the New Testament that says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this question? And, and I know it's the very middle of the sermon. It's easy to get so distracted and other things going on. Listen, do you have peace with God? Do you know what it is to have peace with God? That maybe you've grown up in church and you've tried to do the right things and you've tried to follow the religious rules and you've tried to, but you've never known what it was to have peace with God. The way that we have peace with God is not by getting our lives together on our own. The way we have peace with God is not following a particular set of rules. The way we have peace with God is through Jesus Christ that Jesus defeated the sin and death that destroys our peace so that we would be able to have peace with God. We can trust that God is in control and we can trust that God is, is the one who saves. And I want you to hear me this morning that if you have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, there is no greater time than coming up on Christmas that you would say this is not just a story in the Bible, I'm no longer just going to pretend like I have it together on the outside. I want to have peace with God. I want to know what it is to be made right with God. And friends, that you would know that it's a gift. It's a gift that is given through Jesus Christ. That everything in your life that destroys your peace, he took from you. He took upon himself so that you would have life and you would have peace. If that sounds too good to be true, if it sounds like just religious talk, but you want to talk more about it, I'd love to talk with you at the end of the service today. Talk with a friend or a family member you came with. Maybe you came to watch somebody today just singing in a choir. You came with a friend today. Go home asking yourself this question. Do I have peace with God? Do I know what it is to really have peace? Story of providence, a story of redemption. Let me show you the last way that peace fits into the story. Back up in chapter 3 a little bit. We're going to go back to chapter 3, and we're going to go to verse 11. God provides for his people. You can trust him. God saves his people. He redeems and he rescues them. I want you to see this description of Ruth back in chapter 3, verse 11. So Boaz is speaking to Ruth here, and he says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. All right, if you like to underline or highlight or circle things in your Bible, that phrase, worthy woman, it's going to show up maybe a little bit different in different translations, but right there at the end of verse 11, that is such a significant place in the book of Ruth because there's only one other place in Scripture that you find those words connected together. Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, you have a reference to an excellent wife. You've probably heard, maybe, if you've grown up around church, about the Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Then you can go down to verse 29 there in Proverbs 31. Many women have done excellently, 
but you surpass them all. So follow me here. The book of Proverbs ends in Proverbs chapter 31 with this description of the excellent wife, the excellent woman. The word excellent there is the exact same word that shows up worthy in Ruth chapter 3 verse 11. So even better would be if it said a worthy wife or a worthy woman who can find. Same exact word. It gets better. In the Hebrew ordering of the books of the Bible, do you know what comes right after Proverbs 31? Ruth. Proverbs 31 ends with this description of the worthy woman, the excellent woman. The very next ordering of books in the Hebrew Bible is the story of Ruth, which tells us the story of Ruth is meant to be an example, a lived-out example of what a wise person looks like. The book of Ruth is a story of wisdom. The book of Ruth is a demonstration of what it looks like to pursue wisdom and to live wisely in the world. Hear me out on this, ladies. Sometimes you might have grown up in a situation where the Proverbs 31 woman added weight to your shoulders, where you thought, I've read that chapter, and that does not look like my life. <laughs> like, I've read that chapter, and, and I just don't feel like I live up to that. I've read that chapter, and it puts all this shame and guilt and weight on my shoulders because I don't, I don't feel like that. I don't look like that. It's because it's not designed to add weight to your shoulders. The only command, the only command that's given in Proverbs 31 is given to the man to celebrate his wife. That's the only command that's given in, in that chapter. That chapter is meant to be a culmination of the book of Proverbs. Earlier in Proverbs, you had the woman of folly that was chasing after sin. Don't go that way, live this other way. And you get to the book of Proverbs and you find out what wisdom truly looks like. And then we get the story of Ruth. Students, college, teenagers, hear me out on this. I'm gonna make this mistake, others are gonna make this mistake. People are gonna ask you, hey, what are you gonna do with your life? <laughs> like, where are you gonna go to college? What job are you gonna get? Are you ever gonna get a job? What, what's gonna happen in your life? They're gonna ask you, what are you gonna do with your life? Much more important is who will you become in life. More important than what you will do with your life is who you will become in your life. Education throughout most of human history has been less about getting a job and more about forming a person. And this is why I think it's so valuable that we have so many Christian educators and administrators in, in our church family, because at the end of the day, it's not just about shaping the mind, it's about shaping character. That who we become, that we grow into a wise person. Every relationship you're a part of, every job you have, Every interaction you have, the question you need to ask yourself is, how is this shaping me? Am I becoming wiser because of the person I'm around? Am I becoming wiser because of the job that I have? Who am I becoming in life? Am I pursuing wisdom? The book of Ruth is a story of God providing for his people and we can trust in him. The book of Ruth is a story of God saving his people and friend, he wants to save you. And the book of Ruth is a story of wisdom what it looks like to live a wise, courageous, God-honoring life. Not living for the ways of the world, but living in a way that honors the Lord. Do you have peace in your life? If someone walked into your home, would they say this is a home of peace? 
If someone looked at your marriage, would they say, this is a marriage that characterizes peace? If someone watched you at work, would they say, this is a person who brings peace to a chaotic job? How do you have peace? You trust that God is good and wise and he will always do what is right. You experience his salvation, that he takes away the sting of sin and death and you pursue wisdom. You say, I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life, but I do know who I want to become. And that's a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Right now, as we prepare to wrap up what has been such a fun worship service, uh, just the, the joy of the choirs, these sweet ladies who mean so much to us, reading and lighting the candles, new members who are coming, so many things to celebrate this morning. Before we leave, in a chaotic world where people are full of anxiety, full of anger, are you a person of peace? On your sports team, at your job, in your home, does your presence, does the work of God in your life bring peace to those around you? Do you have peace in your mind? Do you have peace in your heart? Let me ask you first, as your heads bowed, eyes closed, let me ask you first, are you going through a circumstance right now where you are struggling to trust in the Lord? Maybe you're going through something hard, it's not what you planned, it's not what you wanted, it's a difficult circumstance, and you're starting to maybe push people away, or you're starting to personalize this, it's shaping everything that you do, would you take that circumstance and just hand it to the Lord? Say, God, I trust you. I know you're good. I know you're loving. I know you're wise. But, but I need to trust you again with this circumstance today. If you're here and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, if you don't know what it has, means to have peace with God. Maybe you feel like God is constantly out to get you. God is constantly disappointed in you. You can never live up to whatever standard all these other religious people have. You just don't feel like you ever have peace in your heart. Right now, right now, you can trust in Jesus for salvation, to know that he takes away your sin, he takes away the sting of death, and he gives life. He gives life eternal. Trust in him for salvation. One last thing to pray about. Are you living in a wise way? Your friendships, the way you live and the world, the person you're becoming, is it honoring to the Lord? Are you pursuing wisdom? Or are you living for yourself? God, we know that peace comes when we live the path that you've laid out for us. And God, I love these junior high and high school students, the college students who are here, the young adults, and I know they get so frustrated and burdened by those of us who ask them what they're gonna do with their life and where they're gonna go and where they're gonna work. God, help them just for a minute to replace that question and ask themselves, who am I becoming? What type of person am I becoming? And that they would refocus their eyes on Jesus this morning. God, again, we thank you for the story of Ruth. We thank you for the power of the story, the beauty of the story. God, thank you for the strong, faith-filled women 
who have impacted each of our lives. And Father, send us out of here with peace and joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.